This week, I had my first COVID shot. And I have to say, it was a, it was a really impressive scene. It was at Stevenson High School in Lincolnshire. That's a big place. And there were a lot of people. It was tremendously well organized. I got a Moderna shot, actually, from a pediatrician. And we had a fascinating conversation. Then I just had to wait 15 minutes to make sure that I didn't fall over or anything like that. Now, I know a lot of you have already been through this routine. But I just loved watching people in this place and what was happening with them and how they responded. You know, there was a jubilation there that I have not seen for some time. There was hooping. There was hollering. People were yelling. and They were upbeat. They were excited. They were smiling and laughing, at least as far as I could tell, which isn't so easy anymore. And it dawned on me what I was seeing. And that is, I was seeing hope. I was seeing hope. After more than a year of lockdowns, stay-at-home orders, a loss of employment, disease, and deaths, there was a sense that rippled through that place that it was coming to an end. The power of the pandemic was broken. And new beginnings were not far away. I mean, that was something really to be a part of it. That's a hopeful event in the life of our world. I have to say that was very much on my mind as I was approaching Easter today. Because after the death and the violence of Good Friday, the silence and the grief of Holy Saturday, Easter brings the thing we desperately need, and that is hope. We need it every year, of course, but this year I think more people know that they need it. There's this powerful resonance with the good news of the empty tomb. And as I've reflected on the current situation and the reality of Easter, I believe hope is the gift that we're being offered in this hour, and it's also the gift that we have to give to others. You know, it's been said human beings can live 40 days without food, four days without water, four minutes without air, but we cannot live four seconds without hope. Our world is in despair. It's broken beyond any human ability to heal it. And the empty tomb declares to us that there is hope. There is a future. There is the gift of God's risen presence and power in the midst of our existence. This is the truth that we must know and we must proclaim. Alleluia. Christ is risen. Thank you for that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to like occasionally throw that in. Just be ready. As Christ followers, we are naturally, or maybe we should say supernaturally, people of hope, aren't we? And on Re- Resurrection Sunday, we, we receive a, a kind of a, an endorsement again of that hope, an infusion of hope. And hope, the hope of the resurrection is, is all over the Scriptures, particularly in the New Testament. St. Paul tells the Christians in Rome that they are to rejoice in hope and persevere in tribulation. He writes to the Ephesians to know the hope of Christ's calling. And when he reaches out to Timothy, that young pastor that he's mentoring, he greets him in the very first line by saying, Christ is your hope. Christ is our hope. And he tells the Colossians that the hope of glory is Christ in them. 
Peter tells his readers that in Christ they are born anew to a living hope. And the Scriptures are full of God's promises that things will be as they are meant to be rather than as they are now. And this places hope in our hearts. You know, it can be hard to have hope when things are at their most difficult and dark time. Yet that is where it is most needed and also where it's most likely to be found. Hope is not dewy-eyed and sentimental. It's clear and realistic. Hope knows how things really are. It's not in denial. It offers us, though, the better destination anyway. For the Christian, Easter is the natural home for hope. Without it, we really don't have a gospel or good news to share. It's rooted in that. Because of the resurrection, hope stands at every collapse of human relationships. It's at every new beginning. It's at the side of every hospital bed, every graveside where it's invited. Do you know hope today? Alleluia! Christ is risen! Okay, that was better. But a question on my mind today is how do we have hope in the midst of hard seasons? In pandemic, in division, in racial strife, how can hope get a foothold? And that depends very much on what we believe about the foundations of hope. Sometimes when we say, I hope so, we're just really expressing a wish, right? Something that's well-intentioned but has no reliance on solid reality. It's like wishful thinking. When we say, I hope the weather will be better tomorrow, that's a wish, unless we're a meteorologist. True hope must be rooted in something real. And for the Christian, that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mark's telling of the resurrection is compelling because it's so brief. Usually we, we go to one of the other passages because, you know, there are options of what we can preach on Easter Sunday, and usually somebody we go to a different one. But today I wanted us to look at Mark. I wanted us to, have, to hear Mark because of the way that he tells the, the reality of the resurrection. It's brief. It's direct. He doesn't draw it out, does it? And it ends in a very unexpected way. You may have noticed that your Bible, if you have a copy of it with you, or go home and check, that the last verses of Mark, that is, the verses after, you know, verse 9 and on, are treated differently. Sometimes they're in italics, or they're in parentheses. And that's because it's believed, most scholars believe, that that's actually not Mark. That's not the real ending of Mark. And as time has gone on, and we have more... Uh, manuscripts and so on that are ancient, we're seeing that that is the pattern. Now, maybe there was another ending, but not the one that we have. It's an odd way to close out the gospel, actually. But Mark has been succinct and to the point all along. His closing declaration is the important one, and that is the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. This is the most important thing for us to know. Mark doesn't tell us how that gets played out. It doesn't, he doesn't tell us what's next with the disciples. Simply that it does need to be worked out yet, and he leaves that open space. The last verse relates the fear of the women who had discovered the empty tomb. They were amazed, but they were also in terror. They said nothing to anyone because 
they were afraid. That's how the gospel ends. What are we to do with a gospel that ends with fear? At least fear among humans. There's so much more we want to know. Actually, I think it's a perfect gospel for our time and fitting because you have the reality of the resurrection alongside the fear and uncertainty of these people. And you know, this is the world we live in. Difficulty, challenge, fear, yet an empty tomb that we affirm and proclaim. Like the end of Mark, there are these two things side by side in our existence. Sin and death are still with us, but their power has been broken. Life is hard, but we have the the presence of the risen Christ with us. This is what we're talking about when we say the kingdom of God is here, but not fully here. It's now, but it's not quite yet. It's underway. It's been released, but it's moving forward. And God is working out His purposes in His timing. And so we still see the expressions of the dominions that have been defeated all around us. As the church, we live in the balance between the first advent and the second, where the operative word is hope. That is, hope beyond human hope. Hope rooted in the truth of God's goodness, God's promises, and the truth of the resurrection. Zechariah uses this phrase, he says, we are prisoners of hope. I like that. Hope means we don't yet see it fully revealed and realized, but we do know it to be underway. Now this morning's message is a continuation of the sermon on Good Friday. So if you haven't heard that, I would encourage you to go listen because they do relate to each other. Because We talked about what Christ had accomplished on the cross. The battle that was waged and won. Jesus declared on the cross, it is finished. And God answered yes and raised him from the dead. And as people of the cross and the resurrection, we know that the power of sin and death and the devil has been broken, even if it continues to have influence. Its days are numbered. To me, that, you know, our situation with COVID is sort of instructive to that. With vaccines, the disease has been defeated, really. Its power is broken. Its days are numbered. There will be a day when it's no longer defining for our experience. And now all the energy from our health leaders is to get us to live a certain way until it's over. They're like evangelists, right? I mean, they're kind of like gospelers. This is the truth. This is what's happening. Now live carefully. And um, that's, that's a pretty good way to talk about that and also our life in Christ. <laughs> live a certain way. Our challenge then as believers in the midst of our world is how to live while we await the full revealing of God's kingdom. I mean, how do we receive the kingdom of God into our midst when the world is in such a mess? Well, we must live as people of hope, as people of the resurrection. This means leaning into hope and away from the despair that it all too easily inhabits us. And we come to trust in the power of the resurrection to bring new life wherever it can. Joan Chittister uh, wrote a little book called Scarred by Struggle, Transformed by Hope. And she said despair, she sees despair as not really a psychological problem, she sees it as a spiritual state. 
And she says it's the affliction of the small-minded. It's the inability to think that life can be anything different than where we are right now. Instead, hope beckons us. Hope can inhabit us. Hope says there is another destination than this one where we are. There's a, a Native American proverb you, you probably have heard, and, and it, it goes like this, that the elder in the village was talking to one of the young uh, persons, and he expressed, he said, you know, he said, sometimes I feel like there are two wolves in me fighting for dominance. One is violent, one seeks death and destruction. The other wolf is love and compassion. And the young person asked the elder, he says, well, how, how do you know which one will live? He said, the one that I feed. The one that I feed. The whole world this week is watching a trial that's taking place in Minneapolis. You know what I'm referring to. What you may not know, and what has not been widely reported, is that by last summer, the intersection of 38th and Chicago in Minneapolis, where George Floyd was killed, had become a place of spiritual renewal and revival. Local pastors, mostly African American, were sharing testimonies of the Spirit's outpouring in that location. Spontaneous baptisms, conversions were taking place, healings. It was a place of revival and awakening. A black evangelist said, we've seen these beautiful moments of reconciliation and forgiveness. This isn't some Instagram corny photo op, he said. Another observer declared, at the epicenter of pain and darkness, a message of hope through Christ is taking hold and spreading. Now this is in no way to negate the justice that should be pursued at the trial or to negate the hard work of racial reconciliation that must take place really everywhere. But it's to remind us that the resurrection shows up where it is most needed and brings hope with it. And as the church prays and works for God's kingdom to be realized and known in the world, we must trust to hope, even as we are honest about the need. If not, we will be overwhelmed. We will be buried in discouragement. Racial healing is a work of both the cross and the resurrection. And we engage with it as those who stand gazing at a tomb that is empty, empty of a body, but full of hope. Arden Barden is a retired pastor. And he worked for a number of years at um, the, a little Lutheran chapel on the Rocky Boys Indian Reservation in Montana. And just imagine what he was dealing with in that situation as he was seeking to, to bring the, the, the truth of Christ to, to that community and to come alongside them. He said this, he said, it's not the way we deal with our human situation that is the basis for hope. Hope is the basis for how we deal with our human situation. Hope is the basis for how we deal with our human situation. As we engage with our own hearts, with our community as a church, with Highwood and beyond, hope that is rooted in Christ's resurrection is the thing that will determine our effect and our faithfulness because hope will lead us to loving action in Jesus' name. Some of you know that Susan used to travel with Compassion International and 
she would travel all over the world, but, um, you know, never vacation spots. I mean, you know, usually she was in dire situations where there was struggle, there was disease, there was uh, poverty, there was uh, tremendous need, and that's always hard to see, but particularly in children. And when she would return, you know, in, invariably someone would say, well, I, I don't know how you'd do that. I couldn't, I couldn't stand to do that. I couldn't stand to see that situation and to face that. And her answer is always, well, I'm doing something. I'm doing something. When we baptize Evie in a few minutes, that is a statement of radical hope, isn't it? I mean, it's, very, it's a very hopeful thing to baptize a child, to say words over her, and trust in the power of God and the desire of God to keep her. <laughs> but we are people of hope, and so we do that. How do we live in a world that's dominated by pandemic, by racial injustice, political division? We do so in hope. Hope in the power of Christ's resurrection and in the memory of God's goodness to us throughout the whole story of God's people. We can despair or we can hope. We can doom scroll or we can rehearse God's faithfulness. The resurrection is the resounding answer to all that we face, not in a simplistic fashion, but in a way that sees the truth of things and declares that there is remedy for it in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In hope, we step forward into the places of pain, suffering, hopelessness, and need, and we declare that Christ is alive. That Christ is alive. When we seek to lead people in the knowledge of Jesus, what do we say? Alleluia! Christ is risen. When, when we desire to meet the needs of hunger, poverty, and oppression, what do we declare? Alleluia, Christ is risen. When working to heal those wounded by the church and Christian leaders, especially women and children, what is our proclamation? Alleluia, Christ is risen. When confronting prejudice, and hatred in people's hearts and in the systems of the world. What do we proclaim? Alleluia. Christ is risen. When guarding life and dignity for all people, from the unborn to the aged, what do we say? We say, Alleluia. Christ is risen. When we are discouraged, when we don't know which way to turn, we acclaim, Alleluia, Christ is risen. And in our grief and our losses, we declare, Alleluia, Christ is risen. Thanks be to God.